From Upstate Medical University, I'm Amber Smith. This is HealthLink on Air. Why are more teenagers than ever suffering from severe anxiety? That was the title of an article in the New York Times Magazine recently. So here to address that subject is Upstate licensed clinical psychologist and assistant clinical professor, Dr. Nancy Goodman. She's from the Department of Child and Adolescent Psychiatry. Thanks for being here. Thank you. So can you help us understand the difference between what's normal and what's a clinical disorder in terms of anxiety? Sure. So everyone gets nervous and worried sometimes, and that's a normal feeling. When it rises to the level of a diagnosis, it's when it impacts on day-to-day functioning for someone. So they cannot perform what would be normal functions in their life. So just getting out of bed in the morning kind of functions? Or? That or being able to complete tasks that they would normally do or, or interact concentrate or concentrate or interact with people the way they were doing. Um, so all different levels of functioning. Okay. Um, let's talk a little about how anxiety looks in um, children, um, teens, older older people. It changes across the lifespan, right? Sure. So um There are developmental changes in what would be considered anxiety. Um, You might see a young child be very afraid of leaving their parent and separating. Again, there's a normative end of that, and then it can become pathological when it continues on and on in, let's say, preschool. Most of the time, there's not separation issues as children get older, but they may have trouble with other things like being able to be in crowds or they may be afraid of presenting in classes. So it's all anxiety, but the way it manifests itself changes across the lifespan. So if if you have anxiety as a child, is this something you'll outgrow or will you always have that to sort of deal with? Um, my feeling is is that it's always an issue, um, and you may have periods where it waxes and wanes. So you may reach a point where you're in a comfortable place, and it doesn't demonstrate itself as much, and then there's a change in your life in some way, maybe starting high school or going away to college, and then you may have problems again. So, Do you see where people have never had an issue with anxiety, and they get into their, I don't know, 50s, 60s, older age, and then it becomes to the surface? Or? Um, I, I, I work primarily with children and adolescents, so okay. I don't see too many adults, but um, it's unusual for it to just come up in a later point unless there's some unusual stress like the loss of someone perhaps or some other major life event. Hmm. But, it's, but it definitely, um, if you find that someone says all of a sudden their child is anxious, the, there were probably precursors along the way that maybe didn't rise to the level that someone sought help. So like symptoms or? Yeah, or just it was, it was a kid that you always knew needed extra support and help in certain situations. What does anxiety look like um, to a parent? I mean, how would you know that your child has this going on? Are there signs and symptoms to be looking for? Well, well there can be. So, um, you know, someone who maybe has trouble doing things more independently for their age, um, someone maybe who doesn't want to um, interact with other people in a way that you would expect for their age. Maybe if it's really having a lot of problems, you might see disruption in sleep and appetite. Um, And certainly concentration can have an impact, be impacted by anxiety. Does the person who's suffering from the anxiety know that they've got this going on? Are there symptoms that they can feel? Yep. So so physiologically, sometimes there are reactions. Sometimes people don't even realize 
that they're feeling anxiety, but they know that their stomach's upset or they may feel their heart racing. Um, people who have panic episodes sometimes feel like they're having a heart attack or they can't breathe. Um, so, and they don't always connect it up with, it, with being anxious. So are panic attacks part of anxiety? Yes, they oh, are. Oh, they are, yeah. okay. Mm -hmm. Wow, all right. Um, so does th starting therapy early um, help mediate this or? It, it certainly can and should. Um, what I always tell my, my patients when they come in, because sometimes we'll run a course of treatment and things will get better um, and then um, we'll stop, but I say that it can come back. So you can learn skills, you learn to recognize it, um, but there may be points where you want to return because you need um, to have uh, another course of treatment. So how early do you start therapy? Um, I start seeing kids um, around five. Um, and the younger they are, the more you're going to work closely hand-in-hand -hand with the parents, obviously, because um, kids can only use skills up to a certain point when they're younger, and parents have to learn ways to help reinforce that. Okay. Now, I know there are um, medications for anxiety. Are children taking medications for anxiety? They, they are. Um, I'm not a prescriber. I'm a psychologist, but we, I work closely with some of the psychiatrists in our department, as well as pediatricians who will prescribe medication for children. And is that, do you see that that's helpful? It is. Um, I think the research shows that in conjunction that therapy and medication together is the most helpful, but um, it's definitely can... What I consider it is like lowering the volume on the anxiety. When the anxiety is at a 10 out of 10, it's very hard to use the skills that we might work on, but the medication may lower it to like a 7, and then maybe they can try some of the things that are so difficult to do. So tell me what the therapy is like. Are you um, helping uh, people recognize, I don't know, ways to sort of calm themselves before? So that's definitely part of it, so learning some strategies to be able to um, reduce the anxiety through um, breathing and visualization and relaxation techniques. Um, it, it also involves what's really hard, which is exposing yourself to a situation that's anxiety-producing. So um, the example I often give to kids in my office is um, sometimes there are people who are afraid of the elevator to get to my office. And so um, what they want to do, they think they're going to get stuck, and they think they're never going to get out. Those are their thoughts. And then what they want to do is take the stairs, and what they need to do is learn to take the elevator. That it's, They think it's dangerous. It's like there's a false alarm going off in their head. And they realize after exposure that it really is a safe thing, but, it's, but they want to avoid it. That's what anxiety makes you want to do is the opposite of what you need to do to treat it. So treating it might be learning how to conquer that fear. Exactly. Yep. Interesting. Uh, this is Upstate's Health Link on Air. I'm your host, Amber Smith, talking with licensed clinical psychologist and Upstate assistant clinical professor, Dr. Nancy Goodman. Um, now, with adolescents today, social media is a, a huge part of many adolescent lives. Is that contributing to anxiety in any way? I think it probably is. Um, in, in ways that are sometimes hard to even quantify. So I think there's a lot of self-comparisons that's going on, on with teens looking to see what's going on with their friends. People represent themselves sometimes in ways online that are not necessarily truthful, but it can make someone who's self-conscious or feels isolated 
more isolated. They're not being invited, they're not included. And so I think it can contribute to someone who's, let's say, socially anxious, feeling like, oh, well, they're all doing this without me. That makes me even more uncomfortable. Um, and there's also an online presence for teens, I think, in terms of talking about these issues. So I know some of the kids that I've seen who are a school avoidant, there's a lot of kids online talking about um, how they don't go to school either and how maybe you can be homeschooled. So I think there's a whole um, culture that is fostering some of their thoughts about not conquering the fear of, of moving out, if that makes sense. So do you counsel um, avoiding social media? or I mean, it's just so prevalent. It seems like it'd be hard to... It is hard. Um, sometimes restricting a little bit. In the article that you mentioned, they talked about you know, not having the phone on all the time because some kids, you know, sleep next to the phone and they're checking all the time. So being able to maybe put some boundaries around it with parents' help to put it away at night, um, I think it's almost impossible to have no contact with it. Wow. Well, I also wanted to ask you about how anxiety is affecting schools. Yeah, so um, I think a lot of schools are finding that they're being asked to develop plans to help kids deal with anxiety. There's a lot of school refusal, um, test anxiety, and there's um, something called a 504 plan that some schools develop, well, schools can develop for kids. Um, it's an accommodation plan. It's not special education, but if you have a lifelong problem you can have that are affecting you in school, it can, they can have accommodations in the school setting, um, including things like having tests in a separate location, extended time on testing, um, you know, if you're nervous being in the hallway with a lot of kids, getting to leave your class a little earlier, those kind of things. Um, so I think there's a lot of pressure on schools to try and find ways to help these kids feel more comfortable in the school setting. Are those accommodations helpful? So, you know, up to a point, um, it's helpful. So I think for some kids who are terrified, and I think if you don't have anxiety, you don't know how bad it can feel. Um, you truly feel like you are in danger when you are not in danger. Um, so being able to find some ways to get them in the building and to feel comfortable, but it also can be a crutch that maybe they don't need, and it isn't necessarily something that they're going to be able to take with them forever. So learning to cope with those problems is really what you want. Okay. All right. Well, um, do you have some advice for parents who have anxious children? What would you say to Well, I think it's a balancing act. Um, and so they definitely um, need to be understanding to be able to validate how their kids feel. So not to say, I think um, when I grew up and um, people from another generation, there was more of a, you know, kind of suck it up and deal with it. I think being able to be supportive of your kids but also not allowing them to just avoid things. It's tricky. I, I tell parents it's kind of like if you had a kid who was afraid to swim, you wouldn't drop them in the deep end and just say swim, but you also wouldn't say to them, oh, you don't need to swim, we're not going to even learn how to swim. You'd probably start in the shallow end and get them some lessons and teach them how to put their face in the water with the idea that eventually they're going to go in the deep end. Building up to it. Yes, exactly. Learning how to do it, giving yep. them the skills to do it. Absolutely, yep. All right. Um, and again, like we talked at the beginning, uh, the difference between what's normal and what's a clinical disorder, if you have a child who is having, it's impacting their life mm -hmm. and their ability to, you know, get through the day, mm -hmm. um, is it time for 
a child psychologist or at least a visit to the pediatrician? Or? Yeah, I would definitely recommend that. Um, the pediatrician is a good place to start, and they usually have contacts with therapists in town to make referrals if they think it's warranted. Do you see, um, you mentioned like you start as young as like five years old, mm-hmm. so are there are daycare centers sort of dialed into this as well? Are um, they recognizing? Yeah, I think so. I think there's an expectation of certain fears, like I said before, developmentally. So daycare centers and um, certainly kindergarten teachers recognize that certain fears are expected at that age. But I, I do think that when things persist and kids are not improving, that... Um, a referral to either the pediatricians or a therapist in town is definitely warranted. Um, in the heat of the moment, if if a kid's having sort of an anxiety attack, mm-hmm. um, what's sort of the best response for a parent? Um, even my own daughter had some issues with anxiety when she was going through school, and she recently, interestingly, wrote an essay for a college class that she had about um, unofficial accommodation she received from a sixth grade math teacher to start her tests early. And she really liked that. It reduced her anxiety tremendously. But then when she moved into seventh grade, she expected to be able to do these things again. And the teacher there was very taken aback and said, no, we don't, we don't do that. And she said um, that one of the things she realized at the end was that um, it's better to deal directly with these struggles rather than to be given accommodations for it that you learn need to learn to make your own mistakes and that that would help you in the long run. I thought it was a good observation. So I think what parents sometimes want to do is fix the problem and probably what you need to do is just kind of be there with them and say I know you're worried, um, we can get through this, maybe do some deep breathing with them um, and try and understand what it is that's making them feel so panicky if you can do that. Well, it's got to be it's got to be a tricky thing to deal with. Yes, absolutely. So, absolutely. I appreciate you being here to talk about this. Of course. Um, my guest has been Upstate psychologist Nancy Goodman. Uh, I'm Amber Smith for Upstate's podcast and talk show, HealthLink on Air.